Good day, everyone, and welcome to my podcast from the Jaws of Lion. My name is Robert, and my podcast focuses on healing and illness and the overcoming of illness. For me, specifically, ulcerative colitis. And I suppose a disclaimer, I am not a doctor, and these views I share are based on my personal experience and my philosophies. I have named this episode after my website, thejawsaligned.com, and after a book I wrote. Well, the book came first, then the website, then the episode here. And you know, this episode is the moment in my life that features a miraculous time in my life. This moment, actually, is the time that everything started to shift for me with my healing. It's defined my life, shaped it, left an indelible impression. In many ways, I emerged from the Jaws line. So this episode is really about the first time I really came into healing in many ways. This incident, well, if I try to understand it, I can't really put my exact words onto it. How can we understand miracles? I believe we must allow for them, and that's the best approach. And in memoriam of the woman who performed the regression, I hope it will not ruin this episode, but rather enhance it in that I'll be forming her role with my own version of a Scottish accent. I'm no Bill Gibson and have only here a little bit of Glenn Livett to assist me. So apologies in advance, but sometimes we have to let our own clumsy humor in, like a bit of sunshine on a dour autumn day. Something to drink? Diane asked, her Scottish accent mellowing out the M and teasing out the G of the first word. Copa of tea? Chamomile? Green? Mint? Anything? Do you fancy? Sitting on the lounger, the one my mother had mentioned earlier, I looked at Diana I shook my head. No, I'm okay. Thanks. No, none? Diana glanced again at her cell phone. A button beeped. The May sunlight was glimmering over her shoulders and her frizzy mound of white hair that looked straw-like in the sunlight. Actually, I've become so tired of herbal tea, I said to Diana. That's all I've been drinking since I've been sick. I don't really like it anymore. But they say it's supposed to be good for you. She closed the phone. Well, that's all in the attitude her accent thickening the oo of the last word. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Nonetheless, I need a cup, she said, sitting up, slapping her knees. I sat there waiting, listening to her footsteps behind me, the clatter of cupboards opening and closing. And here I was, thinking now or never. I was a little nervous. It was May 2003, and I had come out to visit my mother on the West Coast. I should note that I was still bleeding internally, still on the prednisone, taking six to eight pills a day and still sensitive to food. In fact, during the plane ride from Toronto to Vancouver, I declined having the onboard meal. The flight attendant listened to my brief story, wherein I detailed that certain foods, those doused in spices, could affect me, could hurt me. She, in turn, came back and offered me her raw carrots and broccoli. It's one of the nicest things a stranger had done for me during that year. And here it was. I'd come to visit my mother for an escape, but also for this hope. And here it was, May 6th, this day. I was in Diana's house, a hypnotherapist specializing in past life regression therapy. Twenty minutes before, I'd been outside, finding that there was a kind of fairy tale quality to her home. There was this tall, sloping, and curving roof, as if it had been constructed for an amusement park. Long windows. At one point, looking at the house beside my mother, I remember her saying that it would take about two hours, this regression, and that I would, should take her cell phone. Two hours? I mean, wow, okay. 
I asked her to explain. She said, nope, no time. She said I had to get going. Chop, chop. I asked her to wish me good luck. Liz, my mother, wink, said, you don't need it. And here I was inside, gazing around, waiting for Diana to finish making her tea. For the most part, the interior of our house appeared quite normal compared to the exterior. I looked around, looked at the books, the bookshelves, the library. Many of the tomes were spiritual. A lot of paperback mystery novels, Ian Rankin, of course. Many with threaded creases of broken spines, along with your typical Sylvia Brown. And to the window, I looked. There was this neighboring living room, noticing arabesque stam there, a silhouette. After registering the swirling tube, it didn't take long to see it was hookah on a sill in front of the pane. I shrugged at this object. It didn't look out of place. In fact, it looked in place there. And that and the wooden circle of a spinning wheel in the corner confirmed to me that parts of the interior, in fact, matched aspects of the house's exterior strangeness. Yet, Diana didn't strike me as a type to work with fabrics. She had a kind of trucker or late-shift worker aura to her, much like my dad when I was younger. Her blue jeans were scuffed, leaving holes, and those holes scratched and bruised. Perhaps from housework gardening, who knows. And though she wore a knitted sweater, had the aura of something purchased or handed over. Not exactly handmade. A few minutes later, Diana returned with a large blue mug and a saucer. My daughter bought this for me in Seattle. Absolutely large now, isn't it? It is, I said. And then, she mused, blowing on her team, the steam weaving off from her cup. Oh, not quite yet, not quite. I think I left on a bit longer. But I like this cup, though. When I'm doing the therapy, it's big enough, and I don't have to get up and make another. So I don't interrupt the flow. It does get cold. Oh, well, such is life. I, I cleared my throat. I was okay, yeah. Then I said, my mother said this regression can last two hours. Hmm? And she blew on her tea, then took a cautious sip. She said, time bends. It does, Dinah said. Matter of fact, does. So how does this work, your methods? Dinah took a deep breath. I relax you, and then we do it. She stared at me. Eyebrows scrunched up. She chuckled. Ah, it sounded a bit crass, now don't it? We do it. Like sex, but no no love. It just unfolds from there. But first, I'd like to get to know you first. Some chit-chat. Is that okay? I need to gauge you, tell you if you'll be easy to regress or not. Of course, the words just come to me. They do. But this little interim between you and me, it helps, though. Fair enough, okay? Fair enough, I repeated. Okay. But what do you need to know before we start? She glanced from her large blue tea mug, her brow furled with three vertical lines. We've been patient, aren't we? More nervous, I said. More nervous than anything. No need, no need. Yeah, yes, a minute now. Just relax, dear. But indulge me some chit-chat, yeah? Think of it like seeing the doctor. You have to fill out the preliminary form. Nothing like that here, but I think we should establish something more personal. I should know that before you start, you know? How does that sound? Okay, I mumbled. Yeah, this sounds fine. Oh, please contain yourself. No excitement now. So, yeah, tell me. Start with, yeah, well, the childhood. Something, something, somewhere. Like, why do you hear? And how do you hear about me? Almost like, you know, market research. Well, no. Well, someone recommended it to my mother, I pointed out. Really? I went on. There's this woman I heard about. She had a regression with you and that she had gone through past life regression in which she was a, a soldier and that someone had stabbed her in the heart and this would actually heal her. She had a hole in her heart. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. That's all about cell memory or soul memory, Diana went on. 
That's how I like to put it. All these incarnations we just care out our pain, shuffling along, things left undone, lifetime to lifetime. But I heard from her recently, yeah, the woman, yeah, she's good, good with the heart. Of course, can't say her name, but it was the other day, still great. I then went on to mention Diana, the, the echo session, my mom's friend, Cliff, the advice from the channeling, but not saying anything specific. I told Diana that the channeling suggested uh, perhaps there's two lives, one in particular that could be caused in the past life pain. Diana nodded. Fair enough. We'll find out soon enough. Now let me inquire. I consider you're open to all this. I'm wondering, is this your first aggression? I then went on to explain that when I was younger, around the age of 16, I had a, a past life aggression where I went back to a medieval life. Then I had been tortured to death and disemboweled in the middle of the night. Diana just stared at me, looked on. Oh, lovely. Cheery then. Sad how we never really called the good moments, only the painful ones. I agreed. And they leave a mark, right? Those those painful memories. That woman with the hole in her heart and me. Well, I don't know what this is all about. I mean, up to now, I figure my life has been pretty normal. Diana just shook her head, kind of just looked down at her tea. Dirty word, that, that normal. A normal life is like a sin against self-awareness. Nothing can be normal because we're all a little mixed up. All of us, you know? She blew on her tea and sipped again. I suppose, but anyway, about my background, I guess I could say blue-collar city, working-class father, stay-at-home mom, parents separated when I was 15, thereabouts. Diana just nodded, yeah, of course. I then asked about her house, who had been living there before, if she was married, it was okay to ask about those things. Diana just talked about her husband, he had died of uh, pancreatic cancer. The marijuana had helped him in his last few months of life. That would explain the hookah over there. And she said, pointing to the living room. As for the spinning wheel, that was more or less just something from her mother. She inherited it. She wasn't the type to really fool around with stuff like that. She was more of a vintage girl kind of thing, going to Oxfam. All these things we talked about. And I just found it very fascinating that here I was about to have this metaphysical experience. And we we're just talking about down-to-earth things. Diana basically said it was her husband that was more than mystic. Yeah, he said he was more Christian. He believed in ghosts, past lives. Me, I've always been a bit more feet-on-the-ground kind of gal. And I asked her if she always did what she was doing. Diana then explained that she worked in the maternity ward at St. Paul's and that her mother back in Glasgow had been a midwife. She figured it ran in the family, this kind of life. She had a daughter in Surrey, B.C., working as a nurse, so in many ways, healers kept on creating healers in her family. Diana had this sort of easygoing approach to things. She said, You don't need to be a mystic to see the greater harmony of things. The earth goes around the sun, someone dies, someone's born. It's all energy, just changing rooms. I think enough not to believe in the reality of past lives. We appear, we live and die, and we do it all again. So what? All the lessons, all the different kinds of experience, living just the one life, nah. Bah. There's the narrow thinking. Of course, I cannot completely prove it, but I feel I'm in good company of the subscribing. I nodded, and I said to her, that reminds me of, uh, do you know the writer Borges, the Argentinian writer? She shook her head. She again nodded and looked towards her bookshelf, her Ian Rankin. Well, I explained, this this, this writer Borges, he, he wrote a, a really short story, more like a prose poem, 
about seeing a friend for the last time, and in a story he suggested what you were saying. We were pretending, playing with our mortality. We invented goodbyes so we could experience loss. Because how can you feel loss if you're mortal? Diana nodded to this. Exactly. And with soulmates, I don't believe in that one internal person. You go from life to life and with boring to me knife. People get hung up on that one. The immortal beloved. Bah. I scratched my chin. That's my belief. I, I believe in someone like this person. I think I saw her in a few dreams. She looks like a girl I used to know when I was a teen. But Diana, she wouldn't really have much of that. She figured it was fine for me to have those beliefs, but... Anyway, she turned her teacup around. The steam continued to rise in the sunlight. As for the colitis, I said to her, yeah, I, I guess me being here, the echo, it has to do with soul, cell memory, right? Like with that woman with the hole in her heart. And that's what I'm hoping. I just hope I don't have to go back to the hospital after this. I had three bags of blood put, in me, put into me when I was there. Diana just nodded. Yeah, yeah. And in many ways, she was kind of getting into a little bit of a zone. I felt we were getting close to getting things moving. I talked a little bit about the hospital, about losing all that weight. I was basically just hanging on at 92 pounds these days. I also mentioned the Reiki, Renata, the people who have been helping me along. And of course, getting this uh, regression therapy through my mother, her taking care of it, paying for it. It all just felt like so much, but, well, I had to do something. Diana nodded. Well, that's good. Well, you get your sorted out in due time, and that time is coming soon. I nodded. Okay, when? She reached for her tea. Ah, just the right temperature. And it's at this point I'd like to revert to the present tense, because the moment feels much more impactful for me. So here, back, back in time, it is now present. I sit back deep in the lounger, fingers interlacing in my lap, while well, Diana suggests I relax my toes. I relax my ankles, my shins, she there cooing me on. All that anxious energy just sweeping away, sweeping, just sweeping away, off it goes. All those deep tensions and bleary insides, your muscles are smoothing over, smoothing. You're becoming like a newborn babe, falling away and falling away, away now. I can feel my body shudder as I breathe in. And you're going deep, deep, further and further. Legs are just relaxed and heavy, relaxed and heavy. All the tension sliding off you, and you're becoming heavy, 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 heavy now. She continues the rest of my body. You're so gone, so far away, so deep, so safe. Remember that. You're safe. You feel the top of your head open and your heart. They're open, and you're going further and further, further still now. Feels like time and space are twisting and bending, but becoming one. So down you go. Going into yourself, just like Alice, not falling, more like floating, gently now, down, down, gently down. I breathe deeply there on the lounger. I feel my hands moving up and down over my stomach, but my hands are like bricks, and my body rests completely still. And you're so relaxed. You open your inner eye and look, look, you find yourself by a rustling river. The light flickers through the nearby trees. The wind is minor, a little wee bit muggy, but it whispers warmly over the branches and wavelets. Isn't that lovely? So lovely now. And you feel the warm air on your skin, on your cheeks, on your hands and through your hair. It feels as if 
You could go on and on in this moment. You approach the river. I nod, nod there on the lounger. And you take off your clothes, and as you do all the weight and sorrow from them, from your life, you just fall away. Barefoot, the cool touch of the water ripples through your veins and skins, as you sort of slink out into the river. Whatever haven't you ever left behind? It's okay now, it's okay. You leave it behind, you go deep, deep into the river. The water is carrying away what you must let go, cleansing you. It's all the cooling then, cooling the internal flames from within your body, from within your soul there. And the current is none too strong if you won't. If you won't let it be, if you won't let it mind it, just let it be. It carries away the last few months. Out it goes in the river cool, just creating you. My Adam's apple bobs with a gulp. My chin trembles a bit before calming. Diana then describes the other side, the sandy banks drying off in the warm sunlight. She describes how it is so lovely there. But when I look around, I notice a cabin. Do I see that cabin? I do. I nod, realizing, seeing the cabin. She asks me to describe the cabin to me. I say it's wood in just one story. Diana then asks me to gather my clothes, to get going and go over to the, to the, to the cabin. I then describe that there's a chimney. There's no, there's no smoke from the chimney. Of course, it's summertime. Of course there wouldn't be smoke. So I go inside the cabin, and she guides me along. Close the door behind you now. Just look. Just lock it now. But no one's around. No one. All quiet. This cabin was waiting for you. And see, there's another door. It's closed. There's some clothes in here, some clothes drying. But no one's here, no, no one at all. Go now to that other door, will you? So I approach the door. She asks me to open it, I do. And stepping in, I find myself in this almost evening-like darkness. It's not really dark, just a trifle darkness. And in that darkness, I change my clothes now. I'm no longer wet but dry, and I feel this strangeness as I put on this new clothes and this visualization. I'm becoming someone else, someone in the past. I hear the door close behind me. I feel these clothes, they are familiar. They're now part of me. I swallow and somehow feel my hands have become larger as I put on a tunic. My legs are thickening, my chest expanding as my breathing continues. She asks me to describe what's happening. Takes a while at first. Take a deep breath. Finding words, it feels like I'm swimming, swimming in this other body, this other being. The self of the present, me as Robert. This life, it feels like I'm now something else. And this other self is taking up, becoming much more there, much more present, as if coming out from the depths, as if coming out from the river. And this other larger self is strong, fully fleshed. I'm wearing sandals. I managed to say after a long pause. I feel leather straps tightening around my lower legs. I wipe at the white tunic flowing over my body. I, I notice it's a bit dirty. What are you? Looking around, I feel myself, the burly self, this other entity. I squint. I hear, I hear shouting, darkness. It's dark in here, very. But above, somewhere, it sounds like a crowd or something. Are you alone? No, no, I, I say, the darkness, the darkness is dying. No, I'm not alone. And in the low light, I, I see there's there's a man with a helmet in front of me. He's holding a spear. Do you know the man? That is, 
don't know him. But what is he in this lifetime, as Robert? I believe it's my father, I managed to say. The snap of her fingers, it arouses me. Suddenly I'm amidst cheering crowds. I'm, I'm in the center, I'm, I'm in a stadium. But I'm, I'm in the lower area. I'm, I'm there on display. I'm standing in the middle. It looks like the middle of the Roman Colosseum. I glance around, there's two others. Through the crowd, through the roar, Dinah's voice floats over to me. May I ask, are you a Christian? I am. How did you know, I say, I ask. She tells me it's not important, and she asks me, is this the day of my execution, the day of my death? It is. She then asks me, what do you see? I tell her hundreds and hundreds of people shouting out for my death. Dinah then asks me to describe more and more what's happening. I notice there's these two others, and there's lions, lions in the Colosseum. But before I can go on, she snaps her fingers again. She asks me to describe my life before. And I'm transported as if back into time, into the whirlwind of time. And I find I'm somewhere, somewhere kind and safe. Dark blue of evening. Stars are white. They sprinkle across the sky, pro-like this brilliance. A torch burns, and I find myself in a garden. There are tall columns and a heady scent of hyacinth floating in the cooling air. I tell Diana these things, though as Robert, I don't know what hyacinth is supposed to smell like. But this self, this burly self, this man I am, he knows. Footsteps crunch on stones. I glance back, a woman with her hair up, curls. The curls are coiling about her cheek. She approaches her neck, cheek, and her round eyes catch the light from the torch. Her fingers wrap over mine. They are warm. There's a touch of moisture upon them. She pulls my hand and we cross the courtyard together, the stones crackling below our feet, below our sandals. Inside this, this large home, this moan, this home that is mine, we pass a room of rolled up scrolls. Next to it we enter a shadowed doorway and into a smaller chamber. There we're looking out upon a slope in a city sparkling like the stars. In another room there's an older woman with her cheek against her fist. She sits there fast asleep on a chair beside the wall. Nearby in a wood and stone crib there's a cooing sound. This woman, the woman that is my beloved, we draw near and find a baby sleeping. It is ours. The lantern in the room allows me to make out the pine, make out the pink cheeks. I make out these pink cheeks and the beautiful thick black eyelashes. I look at the babe. My chin trembles in this life and in that life. And in the present, I want to reach out to touch my cheeks. But my hands, they still remain in this life as Robert, so heavy. But meanwhile, in another time, my head rests, her head, her head rests on my shoulder, and my fingers make the sign of the cross with the baby. So are you married? Diana asks at this point. I am married, yes. Married in terms of a Roman custom. She then says, to me it's a lovely scene, but for now I have to know, or she says I have to know what happens next. I swallow, I say I don't. But I know, well then, I know at one point I'm taken, I explain to her. I have not yet baptized my son, my wife is not a Christian. The words are hard to speak, my chin feels heavy, constricted even. I see, only you then, you alone. Now, without further ado, back to the day of death. 
Again I hear the snap of fingers, and the nightly scene of the sleeping child, the cheek against my shoulder. My beloved, everything dissolves into a fiery burst of dark and yet bursting sunlight. This darkness around me, and yet this vividness, accompanying the burst, the hushed tempo, my heart gives way to a frantic pound. I breathe quick, shallow breaths, here in the Colosseum, here again, amidst the roaring. I feel that roaring in my chest. My chest is being squeezed, as if by this day, by the sounds of all this screaming and crying. My hands, my fingers in, are still interlaced. They lie in my stomach. They open and close, open and close. I'm feeling my body again as Robert, but also in that lifetime. Diana, at this point, wishes me to calm down, to relax, to describe what's happening. Tears bleed from my closed lids, from Robert, but also from this other soul, this other self. And I feel like whatever is going to happen, nothing better will ever come from it. I'm both people at once. With my hands in that lifetime and this one, I wipe at my cheeks. I explain to Diana, there are two lions in the arena, just two. Diana says, yes, you, you told me. And I said, each of them right now, they're viciously mauling a man, a victim, each. I stand alone, terrified. I know I'm next. Diana then asked me to calm myself, to calm, calm down, breathe, okay, just breathe. What's happening? Focus on what's happening. I tell her, well, finished. It looks like one line, one of them is, is done, done with his meal. There's, I pause, I watch, I go on. I tell Diana, I, I, I can see his man, this victim, the body, and the lion looks up. The lion licks his lips. There's blood on his snout. He notices me. He blinks. He lowers his head, pushes paw after paw on the brown sand. He's coming closer. I continue to breathe, but also forget to say anything else for a while. I stare. I find myself staring at this beautiful golden beast, the sinewy shiver of his shoulders, the stately pace, this, this pace coming towards me. A brief moment of it just wonder falls over me. It's, it's so visceral, it's so real, it's more real than a dream. And the lion, it stares at me, though I'm terrified. I'm proud and stare back. It's almost humorous. I feel like laughing because I'm expecting him to pounce and he's only sidling up to me, studying me while cautiously and stealthily, stealthily approaching. Diana, at this point, because I haven't said anything, she asked me to speak up. Please tell me what's happening. The lion, a few, few feet away, he's there, right in front of me. It's so strange. The lion's not doing anything then? Well, yes, the lion has wandered up to me, I explain. And I can see my reflection in his brown eyes. He's so close, I, I can't believe I'm still standing. And we continue staring at each other, this lion and me. I can't even feel my fear now. I'm, such a, I'm in such a state of shock, I, I keep seeing my miniature reflection in his eyes. I... I I back up, I tell Diana, back up just a few paces. The sand shivers under my sandals. He's not bothered. He knows I'm not going anywhere. Where, where can I go? Where? Because all the gates are closed. The walls are the walls are too high, and even if I, I did manage to climb them, someone in the crowd would just push me back down. I know this. I know this because I've seen this before. At one point now, not describing it to Diana, I run, I'm running. Of course, she feels like she's left out. Explain what's happening to me. I explain. I'm running. I'm running. Breathe, breathe, just breathe. 
Just calm yourself now. I take deep breaths. I tell her, my feet, my feet are hitting the ground. They're hitting, hitting the ground hard. My fear in the arena feels, feels endless. I can't believe how large this place is. From one side of the arena, I spin my head, searching for an exit, a place to escape. There's nothing. I drop my head and close my eyes. I tell her everything is locked and barred. Guards at every gate, no escape. She again tells me to breathe, to relax. And at this point, I feel something heavy. I feel the weight on my back. The lion has now pounced under the lion, my stomach to the sand. I can feel the lion's paws slap at my side, trying to turn me over. I tell Diana all this. He's, his mouth, his jaws bite into my sides, and they're pulling on my back, my insides. Just like with my beloved moment, my tears, they are streaming down my cheeks. When I wipe them again, it feels like myself and this other hand touching my face. I'm two bodies at once, but one soul. I'm a bridge between what I feel and what I feel then. At this point, Diana asked me to distance myself, to pull away, just as Terry had done when I was going through that moment of being disemboweled in that lifetime as a medieval entertainer, that performer. Diana is also telling me to pull away, to be neutral. I'm letting go, I tell her. In this lightness, this feeling of air weaves through the pain. It's like fingers undoing a knot or being allowed to breathe again without constriction, like coming up from air after being underwater for a long time. At this point, I feel myself floating away, floating up. I'm leaving this body, I tell her. I'm leaving this pain. Diana nods, or I feel that she's nodding out there. You will not care for it, you understand? I do understand. You, you are above the scene. You are no longer a part of it. You let it go. Understand, you're letting it go. And you're going to let all that pain fall away. I understand. You do. And you're leaving that life floating up to the sky, looking down. Remembering but acknowledging his life. His child. The woman he loved. You're letting them go too. My hands wipe up my tears. It's hard to let go. We are moving from lifetime to lifetime and no more pain. We don't have to deal with in this time, you know. It's present. So would you just let it be? You'll let go and be open. Open your heart. How, I ask. And I feel like I'm going to cry as I say that question. How? You'll need to forgive. Okay. But forgive. Forgive who? Yourself takes me a while, and I say, finally, okay. See it. Say what exactly? I'm, I'm not sure. I forgive myself. Another pause, and finally I utter the words, I forgive myself. Good. That's it. Now, now forgive your father. You said he was the guard, if, if, I, if I remember correctly. I forgive you, I say. I forgive you. Ask for forgiveness, she asked me. She said to me. I whisper in the moment of regression. I just, I see my father again, but instead of seeing him as that guard at the gate before entering the Colosseum, I see him at the hospital of McMaster coming to pick me up. I ask for your forgiveness, I say to this other ghost. When my mother came to pick me up, I was recovering from this high from the regression. She hadn't lied earlier. It had been over two hours. She said spent most of that time at a nearby bookstore, sipping coffee. On the drive home back from, from Vancouver to Surrey, I talked about the experience. 
but when we came back to her and my stepfather's place, I needed some time alone. I went up to the guest room where I had everything, opened up my journal, and I started to write about the experience, reflecting on it and the one I had had when I was 16. I had to compare the both lifetimes. I felt there was some kind of connection there. In one, this life as William, I had been executed in many ways due to, well, a belief system, more or less my arrogance. Whereas in this lifetime, the one I had just regressed to, it was all about sacrificing family, kind of going through martyrdom, being very much a zealot in my belief. That other life, Wilhelm, I was led along by ego, whereas this lifetime as this Roman, this martyr in the lion's mouth, I suppose, I was indoctrinated. I had been drawn as if to a virtuous cause, and yet died a horrid death. It left me a lot to think about. It left me a lot to think about when it came to choices, but also relationships. I had to also reflect on that other person, my beloved in both lifetimes, I had to often wonder what she must have thought, what she had to put up with when putting up with that former or those former selves. It was a strange liminal time, and it would be mostly a miracle from then on. From that moment forward, May 6th, until my return home back to Ontario, I would gain about 30 pounds in just under 30 days. I had gone from taking eight, sometimes six prednisone pills per day, eating a bland diet of chicken, steamed chicken, steamed vegetables, steamed rice, no real spices, to having everything, you name it. I was eating Indian food. I was eating spicy chicken wings, pizza, ice cream, muffins. I was eating hamburgers. For those 30 days, from May 6 onward, I was practically normal. This is where I will lead the listener. I felt this was a miracle and something to consider for those people who are looking to heal themselves. I had not discovered the Alpha or Omega, but I had discovered a step forward. And there would be, of course, much more faltering and trying to figure things out. But this healing, what I call medicinal metempsychosis, was absolutely essential in getting towards that goal of overcoming colitis. I will also be featuring a little bit more about metempsychosis on my website from thejawsalion.com. I will be writing a, a blog post a little bit more to explore the concepts and recommending certain books to read. But for now, I wish everyone a wonderful day, and thank you for listening. All the best.